0: hello everyone welcome back to cloud wars live the digital revolution is in full swing all around us we're digging into that in a number of different ways here and one of our i believe our longest standing monthly guests here on cloud wars live is with us today wayne saden is a uh, an advisor to boards of directors and to ceos about how to weave appropriate new modern i.t strategy into business strategy so that it becomes the defining uh, strategic direction for the company wayne welcome back to cloud wars live it's always great to have you
1: and it's always great to be here and yes i do think i'm your longest running commentator you just can't get rid of me try as you might
0: <laughs> no way Wayne. i think man, holy crap we're coming up on three years i think in a few uh-huh. months first appeared so uh you know wonderful wonderful stuff wayne that you've got going on here um Wayne, it looks like you've got some interesting things you wanted to chat about today, right? Uh, in this this repatriation uh, discussion too. Let's start with that. That's been an interesting one.
1: I heard a lot about it too. And unlike a lot of people, I actually read the article. It's a terrific article written by some very smart people. But if you don't read the article, you come to the wrong conclusion by reading the headline. The headline says, start in the cloud, because it's good for small companies, and then come back to your own data center because it's so much cheaper. And if you read the article, they actually say something very interesting. The article, first of all, the article is from and- Andreessen Horowitz, and the, co- the title of the article is The Cost of Cloud, a Trillion Dollar Paradox. So let's put that out for the audience. When you read it, it sounds like from the headline, the sky is falling, the cloud business is doomed, because once everybody scales, Well, we're going to go bring it back to a data center. So the data center business is booming. Let's go start digging holes and building retail data centers. And let's take those mainframe buildings out of mothballs and put cloud, our own cloud stuff in it. Wow. We're going to all save trillions of dollars. Well, the gotcha in the article is a little bit of accounting. I know everybody's favorite topic in the morning is accounting. So let's talk about accounting. The article says when your cost of goods sold or cost of revenue increases because of cloud, then. So let's take that for a minute. When I talk about cost of goods sold, that's an accounting concept. That's the material that goes into the product I make. If I'm making shoes, it's the cost of the leather or the rubber or the glue. It's also, in one sense, the cost of the machine used to make the shoe. That's called the cost of goods sold. It's what happens to make the product I sell. If it's a service business, it's the cost of my consultants. It's the product I sell. Now, for most of us in IT, most CIOs, we are not in the hyperscale cloud SaaS business. Our product is not a cloud transaction. They use the example of Dropbox. Well, they process transactions in the cloud. I don't in my industry. I am SGNA. so the typical IT department it's called SGNA, selling, general, and administrative. Another name for that is overhead. So in most companies, the cost of IT against sales is you know, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.8, 1%, 3% in banking, up to 10% in investment banking. And investment banking is it gets close to being a hyperscale cloud business when you think about the big data. But for most of us, Our main business is not in the cloud. Our ERP system, our timekeeping system, our material handling system, our sales system is incidental to the thing we make. We make machines, we make shoes, we make food. So the cloud is not the bulk of our cost. Now I'm a manufacturing engineer. Before I ever did IT, I built factories. And you know what? We optimize the heck out of those factories but I didn't optimize the coffee machine. I didn't optimize the elevator we took to get up to our floor. I didn't optimize, op, optimize the parking lot because they were irrelevant. And when you're talking about an expense that's 0.8 to 3% of sales and is overhead, should we be spending our time worrying about that? We have a different set of problems. I, as a CIO, need to be able to be nimble. I need to be able to move quickly. I need to be able to build interfaces very well. I need to be able to jump in different directions. My guess is the Dropbox company is not going to pivot to provide a general ledger tomorrow. But if I'm working in manufacturing and we're making shoes, they may come in and say, now we're making handbags. I need an ERP system that's flexible, that's adaptable, because it's not the thing I build and sell. So when we read the article, the article should say, If you sell transactions, read this article. If you don't sell transactions, if you sell anything else, that's about 97, 98% of the rest of the world. It's an interesting article, but not relevant to you. So remember, this is an investment article written by investment people for investors, and you have to qualify the problem. So I hope the accounting didn't bore people because this is supposed to be a techie article, but the devil's in the details, and this detail was cost of goods sold.
0: Yeah, Wayne, I read. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the original in <clears throat> Horwitz article or somebody's interpretation or take of it, and I, I got a similar sense too. That right, if you if you move everything up to the cloud, then you you relinquish the ability to sort of build your own specialized stuff. And I thought it was interesting, at least the. Uh, the piece that I read about it, the guy was holding up as the the you know the prototype of what you want to aim for is the AS four hundred, and yeah. I just thought that was a uh, here in twenty twenty one I thought it was an unusual sort of model to set up. This is what you aim for. No disrespect to the AS four hundred in its time it did some phenomenal work, but you as you pointed out a moment ago, the attributes right that the CIOs or CTOs are going to really be judged on these days is can you help the company move as fast as possible as nimbly as possible and react to the changes in the external market right to help the company become you know a, a market-oriented customer driven fast-paced ability to lead with things and not uh, not just an IT factory right that kind of pulls us back a decade or two so I, I agree with you that that headline probably threw some people in the wrong direction, but your, your premise here is that for the other 97 or 98% of companies, it's a, probably an interesting read, but not one that they wanna say, hey, this is our roadmap forward.
1: Right, because I don't want to narrow my focus and build out that factory. When I built a factory, when Henry Ford built the assembly line, he built it to make cars. He couldn't turn that into a farming system overnight. As a CIO, you might walk in one morning and find out your board-approved merger, and now you're in another market. My guess is you don't take a hyperscale cloud business and pivot the thing to make a different product the next day. you got to optimize for efficiency. So remember, as a CIO, we're often playing the game of effectiveness versus efficiency. Efficiency is cost per transaction, and that's done by rigidity. That's done by standardization. That's done by narrow, narrow focus. I need effectiveness. I need to make all the people in the company better at what they do, which is very different from each group of people. There's the accounting people, there's the sales people, there's the delivery people, there's the manufacturing people, and I'm not going to be served by optimizing one narrow process. I'm going to be served by having a process that is flexible, adaptable, and connectable, um, and that I can put into an industry network. And so the focus has to be different for most of us. And by the way, the AS400, don't sell it short. I've got clients still running production on AS400s today yeah. um, and they love it and it works. And you know, it was built as an integrated whole. When you bought an, when you bought an, an old uh, 360 or 370, you assembled it like an erector set. I'm gonna hook this stuff to it in that database. I'm gonna buy this. The AS400 came neatly packaged. It was all built around the database. Everything lives in the database. So it was a very nice model, but a very closed system in a sense. And so as a CIO, I need an open system unless I'm manufacturing something. When I go down on the production line, you know I wanna squeeze every last bit of productivity out of that line. So again, horses for courses, read the article. I urge listeners
0: to read the article and not just the headline. Yep. Great, great point, Wayne. Um... Also I think uh, you know this, this whole idea right of uh, I was trying to think about repatriation, retraining, retaining workers and all. Um, everybody's trying to figure out you know where are the, these sort of big mega trends happening here, right? So uh, I, I, I like that article because in some ways it forced people to think about stuff, right? Let's run through some various scenarios. Are we still on the right path? Yes. And then also, I think, you know, something else you wanted to talk about here, Wayne, having to do with uh, worker retention, worker training, and just how, you know, taking it from, you know, uh, pretty deep in the architecture sense of things over here to the people side of things, but that same notion of nimbleness, speed, purpose build, be outward oriented and so forth like that. It's hitting every facet of operations from technology, architecture to talent, right? Absolutely.
1: And, you know, during the pandemic, we discovered we were in the acceleration economy. It's accelerating even faster as we come out of it. And I have a message for the CEO that is saying, I want everybody to come back to the office because we're more productive in the office. So everybody come back to Midtown Manhattan or downtown Pittsburgh or Silicon Valley and stop working from the beach and working from the lake and working where you don't have a two hour commute every day or you have to ride around in a subway train and then an elevator to the 47th floor. And my message to those CEOs is one of my favorite quotes from Shakespeare from first part of Henry IV. And it goes like this, Um, Glendower says, I can call spirits from the vasty deep. And Hotspur's response, well, so can I, or so can anyone. But when you call them, will they come? Now, you see why I was never in the theater, but that's my message for CEOs. When you call them, will they come?
0: Yeah. Or will the best of them work from home for somebody else? Yeah. Yeah, Wayne, that's, it's so funny, right? It's uh, like, you you know, you've stepped into the past, into a Shakespearean era where, you know, the the lords could command the serfs, where uh you know bosses can command and you know people do what they want even if it's not in their best self-interest and one of your uh digital all-star colleagues one of the other monthly guests here chris lockhead you know last time we talked with chris he was just saying this is it's not just ineffective it's madness right these days right as more and more people realize i have nothing against comedies or working for people Mm -hmm. but either i will choose to do that or choose not to do that but the choice is mine it is not you know at the whim of you know somebody who <laughs> uses everybody come back to the office so I can see you and count you and feel like uh, oh look at the majesty of my empire here with all these people uh, the best folks are going to say no I don't think so and we've signed that in nursing I think Wayne in particular right so having dealt with uh, you know that horrendous a situation that nurses did for 15, 16, 18 months, they're now saying, now, wait a minute, let me look at this. Said I have an unbelievably uh, unique skill with very high demand, and I'm going to start to set my own hours. I'm going to start to set, you know, when, where, how, and with whom I work. I think, right, we're going to see that ripple across all types of industries.
1: Now, I don't know where it, what it is where you live, but I live on a vacation island. I live in Galveston. And right now there is not a single restaurant that doesn't have a help wanted sign the size of their window. They're paying bonuses to come in for interviews in fast food restaurants. Every place on this island, they apologize for the service or the food or something because people who used to come overseas from overseas to work here can't get in. And people who are fast food workers considered to be relatively low skilled people have choices and so even the nurses, I'm going to put in a plug for something we're working on together, Acceleration Economy, the journal. Um, the next month's issue coming out probably any day is healthcare. And so my column is about the future of telemedicine. You know, right now, and during the pandemic, most of our telemedicine was what I call level one, talking That's you hold your elbow up to the camera and say, hey doc, look at the rash, what do I do? And the doctor says, okay, turn the elbow the other way and shine a flashlight on it. That's the first level, talking. The second level that we're beginning to enter is telemetry. My Apple smartwatch, my Android watch, my heart monitor, my glucose monitor, my food monitor if I'm diabetic, my insulin pump, I bought a little EKG thing that's about this big, I should have put it on the camera. And you put your thumbs on it and it tells you your heart rate every day, cost me a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. When we can send all that to our healthcare provider, all of a sudden their ability to kind of tap us on the shoulder and go, you should come in for a test now. Mm-hmm. will go up. It's not, you came twice a year because that's when you're scheduled. It's your insulin's a little low or your A1C is off or your blood pressure's too high. And then the third level, which will affect nursing and other things is teleoperation operation at a distance. Right now, you know, we control machines remotely. People sit on the surface and pilot robots under the water. People sit on the surface and pilot robots in space. Why can't a doctor in Mumbai operate on you in Pittsburgh? Mm -hmm. Or a doctor in Pittsburgh operate on somebody in Mumbai? And so the whole business of doing what we do will rely over the next few years, much less on physical human presence. We're not ready for AI to take over. Uh, I don't think we'll have the era of the robot will do the surgery and the doctor will be on the beach. I don't want the robot making a decision to cut into my body. But when I had my hip replaced, my doctor used a surgical robot Mm -hmm. that measured things. So instead of having to pull parts in and out of my leg, they measured it with laser beams and the robot said, do this. Mm -hmm. And when the doctor put the parts together, apparently they went together correctly the first time and my surgery took 40 minutes. Without the robot, apparently it's an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. So even nursing over time, not tomorrow, but over time, the augmentation of AI, of, of augmented muscles, robotics, of augmented reality is gonna change that whole paradigm of my presence at work. My presence may be in a glove box with a VR goggle on my face, like the people who run the robots under the water. Imagine if that was your nurse, imagine if that was your doctor. So the world is changing faster than many people can imagine.
0: And Wayne, you know, so the, the, those fast changes, different sorts of work, different sorts of human machine software uh, engagements there. What do you think that means about this notion of hiring and retaining workers?
1: Well, you know, I work with a group now uh, called Via Group Partners that is in the human capital management space. Um, I guess we may be competitors to Pat, uh, Pat Fitzgerald, uh, friendly competitors, I guess. There's plenty of work for everybody right now. And so I spend a lot of my time looking at DEI issues, looking at retention issues, and looking at how this relates. And the answer is as managers, as executives, we've got to find employees that are adaptable flexible, and curious. I've said that in IT for years. I think we're starting to see that across the board. The next normal, the acceleration economy means you can't predict what tomorrow is going to look like. Is inflation going to go crazy? What's happening to the supply chain? Who are our competitors? What's happening geopolitically? Companies have to be ready, willing, and able to move faster. So instead of saying, I want you to know this skill, My favorite is when the job application, job posting for CIO says must know SAP versus Oracle or Google or Microsoft or Infor. And I thought, gee, they want me coding that stuff? Okay. Didn't know that was the job. There's one I changed for a client recently, must know Microsoft Office. CIO job. Okay, guys, come on. This is stupid. We've got to be saying, I want somebody that can learn. Um, you know, I'm an old guy. Look at the hair. I'm still learning every day. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that in the next topic. What I recently learned. We've got to have people that don't ever stop wanting to learn. That don't ever stop asking the question, Why do we do it that way? Yeah. My business of advisory is based on people saying, That's how we do it around here, okay. and the CEO or the board or the investor going, Wait a minute, that's not okay. And so we dig into that comment, that attitude, that culture, and we try to change by first saying, why do we do it that way? What made us do it that way when we started doing it? And and what can we do differently because the world has changed? I learned something doing a change management product, a project called Chesterton's uh, Fence. Uh Apparently the writer Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton said, when you see a fence in the middle of a road, don't just tear it down. It, was, it didn't grow like a tree. Some human beings spent time and money and energy building that fence. So maybe you want to drive through, but ask yourself, what are they keeping out? Mm-hmm. What are they keeping in before you tear it down? So I learned it's not okay to just steamroller over things. But it's, you have to respect the past. But it's not okay to just say, well, that's how we do it here and leave it. And that's the people we need. And more and more, those people need to be on the front line talking to the customers. They need to be in the C-suite. They need to be on the board. It's not okay to say, we have an innovation factory, center of excellence. We've got to have it permeate the culture.
0: Yeah, Wayne, I, I sure agree with you. you know, and uh, when you know your notion there about the CEOs who cross down and say, well, that's not how we do it around here. Uh, so you had the, the Shakespeare quote, one of my favorite ones from my favorite Shakespeare play, King Lear is when uh king lear's in, in pretty bad shape and uh he says to the fool he said why are there seven stars and the fool says because there are not eight and uh, lear goes oh so that that very good. I get it. And, uh, you know, when we we confuse things that are sort of simple and clear with things that seem to be profound, we can get ourselves into trouble. Like, no, nah, that's not what we do. That's not our business. Let somebody else do that. You know, we'll focus on what we've done for the last 10, 20, 50, 100 years. Uh, it's crazy. So I, you know, a couple things. Wayne, I think this this notion of leadership has to be one now that not only looks for those different sorts of people, but actively then encourages these questions from all sorts of directions in the company. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are we missing? What's new? What are we on top of? What can we get there first? You've mentioned the acceleration economy. It isn't just that this is happening at the speed of which things used to go, but it's happening so much faster now.
1: And so much broader. Again, we didn't have to worry about supply chain. They were just there. The stuff just came in, we could do lean and just in time. And now if you distribute something or warehouse something or even make something, you've gotta be studying a whole new part of the problem because you can't get containers. You can't get truck drivers. You can't hire workers. You can't buy chips to put in your machines. So all of a sudden, a whole lot of things have cropped up. Um, Weather has changed more dramatically. We've had freezes in Texas that put us out of power. They've had heat waves in Canada that burned a whole town down. So we've got to adapt to a lot more variability as a group of employers, a group of employees, as a species, I guess, than maybe we've had to deal with. And so adaptability, uh, there's, a, there's a famous science fiction thing Robert Heinlein wrote and it ends with specialization is for insects. I'll bring that to the next thing. There's a t-shirt that says, you know, we have to be able to, you know, skin a bear and hunt and, and balance your books and pay your taxes and dig a well and all that. And then it ends with specialization is for insects, um, and, and that's that's something that guides me. And uh, never stop asking the question. And that annoys the hell out of a lot of people. That's why I'm a consultant. Yeah. Because I keep saying, well, why do we do it? Yeah. Why did we do it? And why do we want to keep doing it? And what's around that next corner? You know, and that's where, if you're a board member, particularly, and we'll talk about that after your uh, break, I guess, is when you're a board member, how do you learn to look around some corners in IT?
0: Yeah. All right, Wayne. Well, thank you for the the prompt there. And now for that break, a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A-game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless. And when technology and people work as one in an enterprise, the A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com/a game. So Wayne, you introduced the notion of uh, boards of directors, and ultimately, a lot of these questions have to be ones that uh, you know the board doesn't consider like beneath them, or you know these issues are you know for the the little people to deal with. These are uh, in some ways, corporate existential uh, notions, right? That, that these boards have to be dealing with through the vision and the leadership and the wisdom of a CIO, a CTO, a CISO, right? And what uh, do you feel that those exchanges are happening and are they happening at, at the level and frequency that they should be?
1: With a couple of notable exceptions, tech companies, for example, they're not. The people who treat IT as SG&A have a problem. They really have two problems. The IT people don't understand what the C-suite does, and particularly what the board does, and the board sure doesn't understand what IT can do and has done for them. And so I like to talk about translation between them. So I'll just do a little plug here. Last week, I became a certified director from the National Association of Corporate Directors. And I'm gonna say, talk about learning. Um, that was the hardest exam I've taken since grad school, which was a long time ago. Um, and there's a non-disclosure on the details of the exam, but I will tell you that there were some very interesting thought-provoking questions on the exam that required aspiring directors to think about how would a director deal with the issues that face us, whether it's Me Too, climate change, m and hostile takeovers, all of the things that boards get involved in. So the board idea is very fresh in my mind because I just spent months studying it. I'll also mention I'm a a board governance fellow of the NACD. I have a Carnegie Mellon certification in board governance and oversight of cybersecurity, and I'm a qualified technology expert director. So I've actually studied this a lot, especially for an IT person. So here's the thing I hear a lot. Well, the CISO, The information security officer should report to the CEO along with the CIO, because the CISO was so important and the issues of security are now so dominant. Or even worse, the CISO should report to the board of directors directly. So let's talk about that for a moment. Um, I've reported to CEOs and advise CEOs now for 30 years. The CEO has more and more direct reports. All the time, people want to be a direct report of the CEO. So the CEO, the last thing a CEO is looking for is one more direct report. That's the first thing. The second thing is most CEOs, unless they're technical people and technical companies, are not interested at the level of detail that I as a CIO or a CISO cares about. So let's put yourself in the position of some average CEO. Bob, you're the CEO. And I'm the CIO and we have a CISO. And we disagree about the zero trust product we want to buy. Well, we both work for you, so we come to you and we say, Here's my position. Here's my position. Okay, what do we do, Bob? I don't think you want to be in that position. Most CEOs sure as hell don't want to be in that position. So it creates a conflict right there. It'd be like having the tax accountant and the CFO both report to the CEO and have them argue about some arcana of IFRS accounting. You just don't, it doesn't make any sense to have a boss that can't lead you in direction. Now let's talk about reporting to the board for a minute. People don't realize the board is not management. board is specifically not managing the company. Their function is oversight, governance. So let's spend a minute talking about what a board's for. There's a thing in, in business theory called the agency problem. You're a small businessman. I'm a small businessman. We own our business. We make decisions based on what's right for the business because it goes into our pocket. If you're an active owner, you got a 10-people company, a 100-person company, and you're sitting at the top, you're going to make decisions that work for you. What happens when the owners are shareholders and they don't know how the business works? You've got an agent called a CEO, a CIO, a CFO. Are their interests aligned with the interests of the owners? We don't know. That's known as the agency problem. The agent may not be acting in the best interest and with the best energy for the owners. So the board is there to solve that problem. We are, as board members, agents of the shareholders holding management accountable for making good decisions. And and then there are some specific things the board does. The only report to the board is the CEO normally. So a CEO reports to the board, and one other dotted line is is the head of internal audit reports dotted line to the audit committee. The reason is if your CEO is stealing you need a way to report around the CEO to the overseer. Having other management positions report to the board, it actually makes no sense. And it might, in fact, be against the law. Um, Boards do not manage. The thing they teach you in board school is noses in, fingers out. Ask any question you want, sniff around, find the facts, but do not tell them what to do other than talking to the CEO, and you know, maybe some of the senior leadership team in a strategy retreat. So, so it's very important that, that IT executives recognize what the board's role is and what the board's role is not. Now, I want to turn the question around. Your board director. So I just went through um, a significant amount of study to be a certified director. I told a hard, hard subject. I wasn't sure I passed until I got the notice. I was very happy. Of the study guide, 200 page study guide, there were 19 chapters. One of them was on cybersecurity. So 10 pages of the 200 pages was devoted to studying cybersecurity. How much of the book was devoted to other IT risks? Zero. How much was talking about digital transformation, digital optimization and the opportunities presented by IT? Essentially zero. The word digital occurred about 10 times. Uh, actually 15 times and five of them were about Kodak not going digital in a case study. So here a board member and you get certified by the premier organization in 2021 and you spend 5% of your time on cybersecurity and 0% of your time on everything else in IT. Now, it's not the NACD's fault. It's not the the exam people's fault. It's boards have so many responsibilities. So you know my soapbox about this. 20-something years ago, when Enron and WorldCom were discovered to be cheating, it was realized that boards of directors of public companies couldn't read financial statements. Now, I was a younger person then, and I was shocked. I'm a bank guy. And in banks, we all can read financial statements. That's what we do. But to learn that people in public companies could say, oh, I do not understand the financials, seemed weird. So they passed a law, Sarbanes-Oxley. And one of the things that mandated was every board of directors, public company, has to have one person that understands accounting. They call them the qualified financial expert, the QFE, and they have to be, in, depending on the exchange, you on, on the audit committee. It's a good, good idea because they're the ones that bet the financials. One person at least has to understand it and a 10, 12, 15-person board. And so that's worked very well. They also make you sign some disclosures. My CEOs normally call them the go to jail reports. It's a Sarbanes-Oxley 404. You sign it that says my financials are accurate and we know that they are accurate and reflective of our condition. And let me tell you, the CEOs, the CFOs, the chief auditors, and all of us take that very, very seriously. The word jail really got our attention. So fast forward, now it's 2021. Ransomware is in the news, cybersecurity is in the news, digital transformation is in the news. I contend and a lot of people contend as well. Boards today are where they were in 1999 when Enron and WorldCom came down. It's time for boards to say, I didn't just take the very hard, very thorough certification exam, spent 5% of my time on cybersecurity and 0% on the rest of IT it's time to say we need somebody with more expertise. We need a qualified technology expert on the board. Somebody who can sit in the meetings and ask the question, why are you saying that? Why do you do it that way? What about this? I have a prospect that I talked to. They make a widget, a very complicated widget that goes into the energy business and collects data. So they sell this widget to clients. The clients use the data to, to keep their equipment running. If the equipment doesn't run right, like poison stuff comes out, people get sick, ground gets polluted, and the regulators look askance at that. So I said to the company, they wanted me to look at making an ERP for making the widgets better. Hey, have you thought about selling your data? What if you had all that data and you could say to your customer, you're in the top 2% of your industry in keeping that safe, or you're in the bottom half, and here's a plan to improve what you do. And then you're one of the widget companies in the field. Why don't you say, I'll be agnostic and accept data from other widgets, and we'll create the widget database, and then create an industry standard? And the board looked at me. I'm on, I actually drove to a city, put on a suit, went to a board meeting during the pandemic, and they all looked at me and said, no, no, we make widgets. Uh, if I knew more about the business, I would go into the widget data business and monetize that. But, but that's the kind of thing that boards need to be thinking about. I mean, we got to think about cyber. We got to think about IT risk. What's the risk of a hurricane taking out your only data center? What's a risk of your cloud operation not being uh, optimized properly and you throwing money away? Mm-hmm. Many, many other, what's the risk of failing an ERP implementation or technical debt? Those are the risks, but the opportunities are even bigger. You're going to get Amazon. Or Airbnb, or Uber, or one of the other data companies out of business. And we got so this is my plea to boards. IT is real. IT is measurable. IT has it makes a difference to you. And it's time you learned. And either you got to learn if you're a director in another field, or you got to start thinking about adding technology expertise to your board. This is 1999. For it rather than finance, and it's time the boards faced it. Before Sarbanes Oxley came and, ru- and and starts writing the get out of the, the get in jail report, it's time to be proactive and get ahead of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and Wayne, I think just the, the scope of what you're describing there—that need for involvement and awareness of it, whether on the part of some enthusiastic person on the board or the qualified technology expert that you've described here. Uh, I think it's in the car industry right is it no it's something like 84 percent 85 percent of people who buy a car they know pretty much exactly what they want before they go into a showroom or before they talk to anybody at the dealership and they they didn't do that by you know uh, reading comic books or something they went online they used technology as their first point of interest what we've all been through over the last 16 months I think more and more the first engagement that we have with products services people who are going to get our money is through technology so um, and then you know down the line the, the service that goes on the follow-on opportunities it, it's it's everywhere so um, if I believe you first started talking about qualified technology experts a couple of years ago and tried to raise it then and the urgency for it the need for it and the rationale the the, just the, the critical uh, significance of something like that is only gone up in that time. So Wayne, I hear you. Congratulations on having achieved those qualifications to be that sort of qualified technology expert. And I hope that people will um, listen to you, pay attention to this because uh, all of a sudden, you know, the, at the rate at which things are changing here, you, nobody's got a couple of years to sort of catch up or get things squared away. It's, as you said, They're going to hear a noise behind them. They're going to turn around and get flattened. And uh, that's just, that's a a bad way to go. And there is an alternative. There is a way to to prevent that sort of a bad outcome. Yeah, the nice thing is that if you go back 30 years, IT people
1: were VPs of DP and saw themselves as the person with the white coat in the basement with the mainframe. And that was a common thing. Now, I was not one of those people, which is why I wound up doing consulting and other things, but I'm not alone. There's lots of people. And in 2021, if you call yourself a CIO and you're focused on the speeds and feeds of your data center, shame on you. In fact, you've heard me say the CEO gets the CIO they settle for and stop settling. And so we've got to raise the game. Like the CFO is not the chief bookkeeper. The CFO is the financial advisor, the counselor to the CEO and the board. The CIO can be and should be in the same position. Unfortunately, a lot of C-suites, a lot of boards are just scared of the whole concept. Because while they grew up with finance, they've always used it. IT was, for most of them, over there. Mm -hmm. Now, I say I grew up in the banking industry where IT is in the product. And so I think the awareness is very high. Go into almost any other field, and the awareness is very low. You know, your car example is terrific, right? Software in cars is going up exponentially. We're doing over-the-air updates. Um, I'm not a Tesla owner, but I've certainly looked at the process of buying them. It's all online. They'll deliver it to your driveway. Other companies are starting to mimic that because of the pandemic. All the companies that I see are talking about over-the-air updates, So when the content of your car is largely malleable and driven by software, how do you make a car better than somebody else's car? It's not having a better turbocharger, it's having a better CPU or a better graphics processing engine or a smarter neural network. And so whatever you're making, if you're in the logistics business, the construction business, the manufacturing business, you're being driven by your ability to process data at scale. And so to say, I bend metal or I pour forgings or I make plastic stuff, no. You process information about customer requests, about partner requests, about materials that you have to manage, the supply chain. We're all in the data business. And some of us are doing a pretty poor job at overseeing it from the top.
0: Well, Professor Sayden, we've hit on uh, repatriation training Boards of Directors, QTEs, uh, all sorts of fascinating stuff here today. And Wayne, we got to hear you recite some Shakespeare. So this has been a pretty darn nice episode.
1: I love talking to you. I get get inspired by the news, by watching your your daily column, by hearing your other speakers. It's just a terrific little
0: ecosystem. And I have a lot of fun
1: being able to give my opinion um, on your pulpit, your bully pulpit.
0: Wayne, thanks. And I, I I think that one of the, the, again, the great value that you bring to this is you've got the technological depth to be able to put things in context, but you speak like a business person. And uh, I think oftentimes, Wayne, you know, it it's not comfortable for people to hear stuff that either they don't understand fully or they if they know it's going to require them to take some action that will cause some discomfort right I've got to change things I've got to disrupt things I've got some technology technology plans that are going to enable some great transformative outcomes but I've got the wrong org structure now my org structure is built for the past I need to have it built for the future and Um, But that's what people have to hear, right? The fact that it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's wrong. And often uh, I I think that that's one of the values that you bring here and putting things in a way that people can get understand. And you speak in uh, terminology and ideas everybody can get. And I I see from that why boards of directors and CEOs are eager to uh, tap into your wisdom. So thanks for uh, sharing a lot of that with us today.
1: Well, gee, I'm flattered. I think I need you as my agent. (laughs) <laughs>
0: Wayne, we'll talk about that. Well, I'll have my people call your people. There you go. Take a meeting. Wayne, thanks so much. Always great to have you. I hope the summer's going great for you. And, uh, you know, at the, the beach time you live in things are good and look forward to seeing you next month.
1: I look forward to it as well. You take care.
0: Thanks Wayne. And thanks to all of you for being with us here at cloud wars live. Hope your summer is going well. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks again so much for spending your time with us. We'll see you. Bye-bye.